turn to uh, Luke, Luke chapter 7, and uh, we're continuing on with some parables. You realize, you know that we have been studying the parables for the last, oh, month, five weeks, and uh, we talked about Luke chapter 15, which is a special chapter for me. I always wanted to preach. Just preach through that. It's that, that chapter about lost things, and, uh, and the lost sheep it talks about. He just is... Uh, ambivalent to the things of God. He's just busy doing whatever is kind of the picture of the human being that is like that little sheep. He's kind of grazing here and grazing there and grazing there and he's up on the mountainside and all of a sudden he realizes he's without a shepherd and the danger that's there and the shepherd goes out to find him. That's Jesus Christ who is the good shepherd. And then we talked about the lost coin and, and the lost coin was lost due to neglect of the owner. And it was lost in the house and we need to be aware that we need to be ministering to our people. Uh, Rooted does that. They do such a fantastic job on Sunday mornings working with our young kids. Uh, our uh, one-way ministry to our youth groups. Uh, we need to have strong ones, trail life, uh, different things like that. But we also need to have things going on for adults, and we do. And uh, there are a lot of ministries. But it's it, it, people sometimes are in church, and then they just... Uh, don't have the fellowship, people aren't following up, and all of a sudden they just drift away from neglect. Uh, we talked about the lost son that uh, was lost due to rebellious spirit. My dad's not going to tell me what to do. Dad, give me my money, and I'm going to go. And he found out that because of his rebellious spirit, he lost everything. And he came home to his father, and his father met him on the road and threw his arms around him and accepted him. And our Heavenly Father does that for us. And we need to understand that. And then the, the lost son, <laughs> he was the brother. He was the self-righteous one. He thought he had it all together, but he was very self-centered and selfish, much like we would see the Pharisees that we're going to talk about today. And then last week we talked about uh, the idea, who do you love? What do you love? Do you love God or do you love stuff? You love God and use your money for God's glory and, and, and realize that everything you have comes from him or do you love the stuff and those kinds of things, and God give me more, and we kind of use God for our desires. And uh, it's just a, a time of evaluation and looking at our lives. Well, I want to look very quickly. We've got just a, a short period this morning, but I want you to go to Luke chapter 7. I, I think it's important that we follow along. Uh, just let me say we had a very good uh, MPG 101 class yesterday. I had a great time with the people that were there. And uh, just sharing a little bit about uh, that, uh, the church, and who we are, and what we believe. And so, uh, if you've never taken one of those, we do. We cycle this about every three weeks: uh, MPG 101, 201, and 301. Uh, 101 is how to belong. 201 is how to grow. How do you study the Bible? How do you have a prayer time? How do you have those kinds of things? That's coming up in a month, and then the month after that, we'll we'll talk about how do you serve in your. Uh, spiritual gifts and some of those things are so important. So uh, just wanted to say that we did have a good time yesterday in that in that class. And if you haven't been there, be sure and put that on your calendar for the next time when it comes along. Let me just read this passage to you. It begins in verse 36, and Jesus is invited to the home of a Pharisee, and, and it kind of talks about the importance for us of experiencing God's forgiveness. I think that's important that we understand that, that God forgives us. It changes 
who we are. It changes how we see ourselves. Uh, people need to be forgiven. And there's an awful lot of people today that say, oh, I don't need forgiveness. I, I'm pretty good. I've got it together. And that's kind of the Pharisee in this story. And he missed the point of the fact that he was just as lost as we see a, a, a woman that says she is a sinner, uh, possibly a prostitute. Certainly immorality was part of her life. But I want to just read it to you, and we'll, we'll catch some of the important principles this morning uh, as we have time. But it begins in verse 36 of Luke chapter 7, and it says, and let me just explain it as we go through for a, a few moments. It says, now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him. And you realize that periodically there were those individuals that would come to Jesus, and they'd say, come to my house. Uh, Matthew was a tax gatherer. He had him come in and, and uh, have dinner and spend time with his friends. You remember Zacchaeus, uh, the tax gatherer that climbed up in a tree to see Jesus, and Jesus said, come on down, I'm going to your house today. And so Jesus would go in and spend time with them, but I'm not sure that he always did that with the Pharisees because the Pharisees struggled with who Jesus was. And why this Pharisee had Jesus in, I'm not sure. Maybe it was because he really liked what Jesus was saying and he respected Jesus and he loved him and, and he cared about him. But uh, I, I questioned whether that was really the reason. Uh, there are Pharisees that were people part of the Sanhedrin, uh, Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea. But as we go through this passage, you're going to find that this Pharisee did not show the common courtesies to Jesus that would make me think he really was enamored with who Jesus was. Uh, another reason that they say that maybe he invited him in was because he wanted to trap him, somehow prove that he was not a prophet, that he was not the Messiah, that he was not a great teacher. And so he invited him in to do that. But it would kind of appear as we go through this that that probably wasn't the reason either. And I think maybe it was just because he liked to have rabbis come in and eat with him and ask questions. He liked the intellectual interaction that was there. And so anyway, he invited Jesus. And it says one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him. And he entered the house and he reclined at the table. And when they would eat... Uh, they didn't sit at chairs like we did very often. They would have a low table, and they'd have little couches, and they would lay there. They'd put their elbow probably on the, their left elbow on the table. My mom told me not to do that. I was not supposed to have my elbows on the table. But back then, that was common. And they would put it there and then talk across the table, their legs laying out behind them, take off their sandals, and the feet would be laying back there behind. So... Uh, that was kind of what it's talking about here. He reclined at the table, and there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. Uh, the term would give us the idea that she was an immoral person, and as we look at it, uh, it was probably a person that everybody knew. They knew who she was. They knew who she was like, what she was like. They knew what her life was like, and when she learned that Jesus was there reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume, probably the most expensive thing she had. Uh, this is a different woman than Mary, and Mary and Martha. She also had an alabaster vial of perfume that she broke over his head. This is a different situation. The circumstances are different. But you say, well, how did she get into the house well, when we have people over, or you have people over, I'm sure you invite them in, and your house is closed in. Uh, 
and you have doors and you shut the door. You don't invite the neighbors. Nobody else is invited in other than your invited guests. But during this time, they would have an open door. Possibly they were eating in a courtyard with the rooms around and the table there in the middle. And if there was a rabbi coming or somebody special, individuals from the neighborhood could come in. They would go in and they would sit around the outer walls. They didn't eat with the guests. They didn't talk to the guests. They didn't interact with the people. But they could come in and listen. And so they would have listened to the interaction between this Pharisee and Jesus. And so apparently this woman, about hearing that Jesus was there, came. And she said, it says, verse 38, standing behind him at his feet, And I would imagine she maybe had had contact with him in the past. She understood the forgiveness. She understood who he was. It says she was weeping. And the idea is the tears were just spilling out. She was sobbing. And she began to wet his feet with her tears. And she kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. And it was an act of love. It was an act of respect. It shows us a little bit who she was because uh, once a Jewish woman was married, they would put their hair up and they would cover it. And you never saw them with their hair uncovered in public. It just wasn't something that happened. But for this woman, apparently her hair was down. It was long. And she was wiping his feet. She was washing his feet with her hair, with her tears, anointing them with oil or perfume, kissing them. And now the Pharisee. Here is the the issue. We look at this Pharisee who had invited him. He saw this and he said to himself, well, if this man were a prophet. And they hadn't had prophets in Israel probably for 400 years. But he said, if this man were a prophet, which some thought, He would know what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. The issue there was for a Pharisee who believed themselves to be righteous and clean, to be touched with a sinner, made them unclean, and they would have to go through the purification process. And uh, Pharisees actually had a little path along buildings that they could walk because they thought if the hem of their garment touched a sinner, then they, they were unclean, and So his view was that Jesus was there and this woman was making him spiritually unclean. And Jesus apparently saw his look or understood what he was thinking because he didn't say it out loud. And in verse 40, it says, Jesus answered him and he said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And it was kind of the idea that Simon got the idea that that here this rabbi was going to produce this great statement. And so, uh, as they would have said even in the Old Testament, say it, Lord. Tell me, what do you want to say? I'm listening. And he told the parable. And this is a story. Remember, a parable is a story that comes alongside to give a a truth. Uh, There's a money lender, had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii. A denarii, as we have said before, is about a day's wage. So he had 500 days of of earnings that he would have to pay back the debt. That'd be 250 days a year. That's almost two years' time, isn't it, that he's made uh, this debt that he owes. 
he owed 500 denarii, and the other one 50, which if we look at it, cut it in half, 25, that's about two months. So one owed about 200 or about two years' worth of income, and the other one owed about two months. Big difference. But neither one could pay. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which would love him more? Uh, Which would honor him more might be uh, just as good a term for us, or would respect him more? I'm not sure there was a, a, a real term for that in the Greek. They use that term love here. And Simon said, he responded, well, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. Wouldn't you be that way? If you had a debt of either $200 or you had a debt of $20,000 and they were both forgiven, which would be the most appreciative? Maybe the one with the biggest loan, the, the biggest amount that was forgiven. And, and that's really what Simon is saying here. But the key is, Both of them were debtors, and they were both bankrupt, and neither one of them were to repay. It was the lender that made the difference. Jesus said, uh, you've judged correctly, turning toward the woman. And this is the first time we see Jesus turning to her. It says, do you see this woman? He said to Simon, do you see this woman? And he was probably pointing and maybe motioning towards her. He says, I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. That's just a common courtesy. Uh, They would take off the sandals and they would usually have a servant or someone wash the feet of the person coming in. You go out on those streets of Judea and they were filthy, they were dirty. And your feet would be filthy. And they were probably hot and they would be tired And you don't know what all was dropped on those streets. They had mules and cattle and all kinds of things out there. So they needed to have their feet washed. But Simon didn't wash his feet. But this woman, she's wet my feet with her tears. She's wiped them with her hair. She's done the courtesy way beyond what you should have done. And you didn't. You gave me no kiss, which was a common courtesy. Someone coming in, you would kiss them on the cheek. Maybe the lips, but it was, it was simply a, an acceptance. Today we might shake a hand or put our arms around a person. Boy, so good to have you here. She, since she, the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. Didn't just kiss me on the cheek. She's been kissing my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil. Another common courtesy, a little uh, sweet-smelling ointment would be put on the head. She anointed my feet with her perfume. And for this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, he loves little. He really doesn't appreciate it as much. This woman, her sins, considering the fact of her immorality, were forgiven. She becomes acceptable in the sight of God. Do you know Simon really didn't see the woman? He saw her past, but he didn't see her. Jesus saw her present and her future, not the past. And so she was forgiven. Your sins have been forgiven, he said to the woman. And those who were reclining at the table with him, so there must have been other Pharisees there, began to say to themselves, well, who is this man who even forgives sins? In another passage it says, only God forgives sins. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. 
Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You know, as, as we look at the idea of sin and we look at the woman and the Pharisee, um, there's a couple different types of sin. One would be the sin that is very visible. And we can look at people today and we can look at their lives and their lifestyle and doesn't matter whether it's a movie star or whether it's a politician or whether it's the person that lives next door. We look at them and we begin to judge them by their actions and their attitudes. And there are those sins that are very evident. Uh, this woman, it was evident that she was uh, probably a, a woman of <laughs> not a very good reputation. I'm sure Simon would never have talked to her during the daylight. As one commentary said, well, maybe he would have seen her at night. But he wouldn't see her during the day. And uh, because Simon wanted to have that, that appearance of being a, a righteous individual. And so there are sins that are very evident. But some that we don't judge so much are the ones that aren't so evident. But they're still sins. And they still separate us from God. Jesus was speaking when we talked, uh, think about this issue back in, in Matthew chapter 5. And it's the Sermon on the Mount. And, you know, we're talking about the woman being a, an immoral woman, probably because of her actions or activities, possibly a, a prostitute. But in Matthew chapter 5, he was speaking on the, on, on the Sermon on the Mount. And in verse 27 and 28, he said, You've heard it said, You shall not commit adultery. You, you aren't have that relationship, that extramarital relationship, but I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery in his heart. He says, you're really not much different than she is, Simon. It's just that nobody sees yours. You're still separated, and you still need forgiven. You still need your life to change. And so there are those visible and invisible sins. There are also the sins that... We commit stealing, cheating, lying, murder, rape. Those are very visible sins. They're sins that we commit. But what Simon didn't realize is there are also sins that we omit. You know, in the book of James, chapter 5, 17, it says, For the person that knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. So it's failing to do what God asked you to do. I think, I don't know about you, but I probably struggle with that more than I do the overt sins. Because it's very easy just to not do what God asked me to do in terms of sharing with others and uh, fellowshipping with others and uh, doing things that are positive within the family of God. There are those sins of omission. Uh, I, I think of the situation here where the woman came in and she began to wet Jesus' feet with her hair and she wiped it. And Jesus said, but you know, you omitted to show the common courtesy of bringing out a bowl of water so that my feet might be washed. You showed no respect towards me in doing that, Simon. And yet she's come in and she's washed my feet and she's dried it with her hair. Simon, you didn't show me the courtesy when you invited me here to even give me a kiss of welcome. You omitted that. 
And she's continued to kiss my feet from the time she came in. Simon, you didn't anoint my head, which is norm if you respect a person. And yet she has taken this vial of perfume and she has taken it and poured it out on my feet and anointed my feet. Simon, you omitted to do the very things that you should have done. It's the sin of omission. And I think that's probably where we find ourselves so often. And if we really are to be in a right relationship with God, we need to experience his forgiveness and, and his love. And it doesn't matter whether we are the one who is the overt sinner and everybody says that, whoa, look at his life. It's so far out and he doesn't have it together. Or whether we are the, sin, the sinner that just blows it because we don't show love for the other person. We don't do the things that God asks us to do. The common things of hospitality were not there. Well, Jesus gave this illustration, this, this parable. And listen to verse uh, 41 and 42 as we look at it this morning. Just quickly, uh, won't get every, everything done this morning, but in verse 41 and 42, he says, A moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50, and when they were unable to repay, he graciously... Uh, coming from the word grace, it means freely, with no expectation, nothing required, graciously forgave them both. So which will love them more? Both men were debtors. Both owed money. One just didn't owe as much as the other. And it's just like sin. We may be someone who appears to be a very great sinner, according to the world, or we may be a person who seems very righteous and very self-righteous and proud and arrogant like the Pharisee, but we don't demonstrate love and we fail to really become close to God because we don't see a need. Do you want to know something? As Christians, when we are forgiven and the closer we come to God, I believe the more evident it is that, that we're sinners to ourselves. Uh, back in the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, we see the call of Isaiah in that uh, first few verses. I just want to read it to you, and, and you're going to see it, because if, if we're that close to God, we see how far we fall short and how much we need His forgiveness says in uh, verse 1 of chapter 6 of Isaiah, the year that King, Uzziah de- of King Uzziah's death, and, and that really isn't pertinent to the statement here. It just gives a timeline. It says, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Wow, he came into the very throne room of God. And it says, Seraphim stood above him, each with six wings. I guess that's where we get angels with wings, but we don't give them quite enough. Uh, The seraphim had six, and it says with one, two, they covered his face because he didn't even have the right to look on the holy God. And with two, he covered his feet because he wasn't going to stand in the presence of God. And with two, he flew. He was not even standing down on the ground of the throne room. And one called out to another, and he said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Uh, You know... It says in verse 4, the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out, while the temple was filled with smoke. 
and, and, and I can just hear it reverberating back and forth as the seraphim were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And Isaiah saw this. And then I said, woe is me. For I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. We don't even have the right to come before God. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I was talking to David Bevilacqua this morning and was talking about reading in the book of Numbers and, and the people of Israel and how they would respond to God and say, well, why did you even bring us out of this out of Egypt, we were back there, we had plenty of food, and we don't have meat, and God gave them quail then, and they all got sick eating too much meat, and uh, they complained about other things, Marion complained about her brother, because she didn't like who she, he had married, and uh, Miriam and Aaron, and uh, Korah complained, because Moses shouldn't be the only one that talked to God, and the land ate him up, but I thought how arrogant these people were, they were so self-righteous, and they experienced the, the judgment of God rather than the forgiveness. And what they needed was forgiveness. They needed to turn and, and, and admit their need. And so here was Isaiah, and he cried out, Woe is me, for I am ruined. You know, do we see ourselves that way in relationship to God? I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, and... Then he experienced the forgiveness of God, the purification. Then one of the seraphim flew to me and with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs, and he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is forgiven. That's what Isaiah needed was forgiveness. And he heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, Here am I, send me. Forgiveness changes us. It really does. But we need to be willing to see who we are in, in relationship to God. Back in, in Luke, we see another uh, situation, Luke chapter 5. Jesus had come to preach by the sea, and the multitude was so great there wasn't room. The disciples were there, and he asked them if they could use one of their boats. And they said yes, and he got into the boat, and he began to preach, and after he had preached, uh, he was in Peter's boat, apparently, chapter 5, verse 8 and 9 of, of Luke. After he had preached, he said to Peter, well, take your boat out, Peter, just, just take it out and, and throw, throw the net in. They just washed the net. You know, they'd been out fishing all night. They hadn't caught anything. They were probably depressed. Verse 5, it says, Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and we caught nothing. But I'll do as you say and I'll let down the nets. And then when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. And so they signaled their partners in the other boat, James and John, for them to come and, and help them. And they came and they filled both the boats so that they began to sink and here's how Peter responded because he realized this carpenter knew more about fishing than him because of who he truly was. And Simon Peter saw that, that he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Go away from me, Lord. For I'm a sinful man, O Lord. 
for amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of the fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners of Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not fear, for now you will, now on you will be catching men. Forgiveness is essential, but before we can forgive, we need to understand our sinfulness. The woman understood her sinfulness, but the Pharisee didn't. He just saw her as a sinful woman and really didn't understand who Jesus was, and I don't think he cared to. Forgiveness is not something we earn. It comes from the grace of God. The two debtors were given forgiven graciously. Uh, we know that verse I quoted often. It says Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are you saved through faith. It's God's grace, unmerited favor. Not what we do. It wasn't even the woman and her love washing his feet. It wasn't in her love anointing his feet with oil. It wasn't the woman kissing him on his feet that saved her. It was the grace of God. And it's only the grace of God that brings about healing. It's only the grace of God that brings about forgiveness. It's, it's there. In fact, we talk about the grace and we talk about salvation as being free. And I want to say something about that forgiveness. It's, it's free. All you have to do is come to the Lord and say, I'm a sinner. I need your help. I need your forgiveness. But it's expensive. It cost the woman a great deal in terms of showing her love to Jesus Christ, but that wasn't what saved her. I think of the two debtors. They, they had free forgiveness in terms of their debt, but the one who forgave them, it cost him a lot. 550 denarii it cost him. God saved us, and it cost so much. Jesus left heaven and he came down for us. I, I just want to read a couple of verses here from Luke 8 down in verse 47 and 48 and then 50 it says, for this reason I say to you, her sins which are many have been forgiven. She loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. There's, a, there's just an evidence there of who loves and who doesn't. In verse 48 it says, your sins, as he looked at the woman, have forgiven and down in verse 50, he says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Forgiveness is, is free, but it, it's certainly not cheap, is it? When I think of Jesus going to the cross and putting his life on the line for me, it's, it's not cheap. It costs. The two debtors didn't pay anything, and yet the debt was paid. It was free, but it cost the one who forgave them. I think of Jesus in, in 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, He who knew no sin. He who had never sinned, he who was perfect, that's Jesus, became sin for me. That's us. But he became sin for me. He took my sin on himself and went to the cross. Now, forgiveness isn't based on God's love. Love motivates God to forgive. I, I, I really believe that. 
But if sin was the basis of his forgiveness, then all, everybody would be saved because it says in John 3.16, all have sinned, or for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. His love was for everybody. But it says here that she loved Jesus, but that wasn't the basis for being forgiven. The basis for her forgiveness is found in verse 50. And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Faith in what? Faith in the grace of God. Faith in Jesus Christ. It's uh, God's grace that saves, but we accept that and it becomes ours as we take it, that which is offered to us. If a person does not receive it by faith, he doesn't have forgiveness and he doesn't have salvation. The woman was changed in verse 47. It says she loved much. She had a new love. She had a care and a concern for others, not as she had before, but now was different. She had a, a freedom. She was no longer bound by her past. She was no longer bound by the sin in her life. But there's another thing it says. It says she had a new peace. You know what I found? Oftentimes I'll talk to people after they come to know Jesus Christ. And I'll say, what, what is it that's changed? What's the difference? And they'll say, I feel more at peace than I did before. There's a new peace in my life. Two months, three months later, how's it going? I still have that peace. Because you see, God gives us that. It's based on coming to him through faith and receiving the gift that he has for us. Two debtors. One owed a great deal, one owed very little. Both were forgiven. If you look at your own life, are you the one that had a great deal to be forgiven or a little bit? It doesn't matter because God forgives both. As we come in faith, through the grace of God, he forgives both. And he gives peace. It's interesting. I don't know that the Pharisee was ever forgiven. It doesn't demonstrate that. It doesn't say it. Because I have an idea he thought he didn't need God. He could just do it by being good on his own. And so we look at our lives and we evaluate and see where we are in relationship to God. And, and, and we're all debtors. We all need forgiveness, even later on in life when we sin and mess up to have that peace, that relationship that's right. It's not our salvation I'm talking about, but a, a peace in our walk with him. We still need to come and admit our need and ask forgiveness and experience that, that peace that God gives in spite of where we are. Let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you for today. I, I just thank you for... Uh, Time, we've kind of rushed through this, this parable, Father, in this passage, but what an amazing truth. I, I think of that woman who came and she made a spectacle of herself. She went into a room where I'm sure she knew she would not be normally invited to come in. She stood in the back of the back wall and the tears began to flow. And she honored Jesus and keep washing his feet, which the Pharisee wouldn't do, and kissing his feet, which the Pharisee didn't do, and anointing him with her perfume, which the Pharisee didn't do, and she showed her love for Jesus. But it was because of the forgiveness, it was because of the changed life that that happened. And Father, as we come to you, I just thank you that we have that 
opportunity for changed lives as well, that you transform us and you make us new. We are no longer the same creature we were before when we come to know you. It says all things have become new. We are changed. We are transformed. And I just want to thank you for that. You're an awesome God. Father, thank you for trail life, for Tim coming and sharing with us this morning. Uh, what an amazing opportunity in minister, ministry for boys. To be able to see boys that are encouraged to become strong men, to become godly men, to become holy in terms of their lifestyle, to live a life that's pleasing unto you. Thank you, Father, for the dedication of the leadership there and their willingness to come and share and see the difference take place. Thank you that they're willing to take time and go camping and just spend time out there with the boys and talk and answer questions and be there with them and set examples for them. Thank you, Father, for each and every one of them and the lives that are going to be and are being changed through that, that ministry here. Thank you for all of our ministries. Father, for... Uh, you know, our rooted ministry. Uh, I pray for those that are over there right now with our children and, and just the message that they're carrying and the ministry that they have and for our ministry to uh, those in one way, whether middle school or high school, Father, thank you for the impact that we can have that they might, as they get older, honor you and glorify you with their lives, but they might know you now, that they might have that relationship with you today because of these ministries. Thank you, Father, for your goodness. Thank you for your love. We commit the following week to you, Father. Might you be honored through our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.